All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are continuing our study, Lesson 41, Jeremiah 32 and 33. Okay, so Kevin, where we left it off yesterday, Jeremiah 31, like it's the biggie. It's the new covenant, and I love this. Here you have God speaking through Jeremiah saying, hey, guys, by the way, when you come out of captivity, I want you to understand something. I'm now going to put the law on your heart. I'm going to give you hope amidst like this time of transition and Crazy enough, he's bringing the nation together. He's bringing Israel and Judah together. He's giving them hope. And yes, he's talking about captivity, but oh, so much more than that as well. So when you transition into Jeremiah 32, you're going to have to have this understanding. Kevin, how long did he prophesy that the Israelites, the, the Judah, folks from Judah are going to be in captivity? 70 years. He's going to be, they're going to be in 70, 70 years, okay? And a lot of this had to do with Zedekiah's problems. A lot of this had to do back to Hezekiah's problems, right? So all of this is just, it's building. So when you get into Jeremiah 32, you just never know what you're going to expect. Is it going to be positive? Is it going to be negative? Is he talking about the millennium? Is he talking about captivity? In Jeremiah 32, what you're going to see in the first really five verses, uh, let's just begin to unpack this just a little bit, Kevin. This is the word that the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, okay, who was the king of Babylon, okay, verse 2, it says this, uh, at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, and Jeremiah, the prophet, was imprisoned in the guard's courtyard, in the palace of the king of Judah, verse 3, says, Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, why are you prophesying? This is what the Lord says. Look, I'm about to hand this city over to Babylon's king and he'll capture it. So Zedekiah puts this prophet into jail. Why? Because he doesn't like what he says. Pretty much, right? Verse four it says, Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape from the Chaldeans. Indeed, he will certainly be handed over to the Babylonian, Babylon's king. They will speak face to face and meet eye to eye. So here you have in these first five verses, okay, uh, Zedekiah imprisons Jeremiah. And the scripture says this, God will take Zedekiah to Babylon where he will stay until I attend to him. This is the Lord's declaration. You will fight the Chaldeans, but you will not succeed. So Kevin, what's the word from Jeremiah to Zedekiah? Uh, they're going to take you captive and you're going to get to go alive and you're going to fight them, but you're not going to win. Okay, close. You're, you're, you're kind of close. I think we mixed a little bit, a couple things, which welcome to our life sometimes. You know, here's the reality. Yes, you could be, remember, if you let him ho hold, take you captive, you will live. If you fight, remember, and don't go against it, then you'll die. So, makes sense? So there's that progression of like, look, just trust me. I'm going to put you into captivity. You're not going to like it. Don't fight the scenario or, or you will you will die. This is the, the picture of one through five. But then when you get into verses six through 15, here is the, the label of... Um, Let's just go there. Then my cousin, Hanamel. Okay, he came to the courts, uh, the guard's courtyard. Kevin, where is Jeremiah right now? In the prison. He's in prison. Then my cousin, Hanamel, came to the guard's, car, guard's courtyard, as the Lord had said, and urged me, please buy my field in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, 
For you own the right of inheritance and redemption. Buy it for yourself. Okay. So Jeremiah is Kevin where? In prison. In prison in the guard's courtyard. His cousin, right, says, hey, by the way, I got some land in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. You own the right of inheritance and redemption. I need you to buy it. And so Jeremiah says, you know, I, I think I should buy this. So, Kevin, here we are. We're throwing up a, a picture here. Uh, where is Anathoth? Anathoth is just right above, right next to Jericho. So a cousin comes in. This is the land of Benjamin area, okay? So the cousin comes in and says, hey, by the way, would you, would you consider buying this land? And Jeremiah right away said, yeah, I knew I, I, knew I was supposed to. Verse 9. <clears throat> so it says this. Verse 9, if you would. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin, Hanamel, and I weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Heck of a deal back then. I mean, heck of a deal. Verse 10, if you would. Uh, let's keep going. So I recorded it on a scroll, sealed it, called in witnesses. So everybody would see, I just bought this from Hanamel, my cousin, 17 shekels of silver. We weighed out the silver on a scale. Verse 11. <clears throat> I took the purchase agreement, the sealed copy with its terms and conditions and the open copy. Isn't that an interesting verse? The terms and conditions. <clears throat> Sounds very 21st century. And I gave the purchase agreement to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah. I did this inside of my cousin Hanamel, the witnesses who were signing the purchase agreement, and all the Judeans sitting in the guard's courtyard. <laughs> hey guys, you mind, uh, you guys mind coming over and watching this? <laughs> I instructed Baruch in their sight, and look what he says. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says. Take these scrolls, <clears throat> this purchase agreement, with the sealed copy and this open copy, and put them in an earthen storage jar so that they will last a long time. Okay, verse 15 then says, For this is what the Lord of hosts says, The God of Israel says, Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Kevin, Rich, <clears throat> let's go to you, Rich, on this one. Why do you think it's important? I mean, I think this is a really interesting text. Here you have a guy in prison. He just bought land. What does that say about him? It says that he trusts God's promise that they will come back to it. Even though they're going to be carried away into captivity, they're going to come back to this land, and it's going to be important for you to own some of it because you're going to need it. So the timing wasn't like Jeremiah could just go and start building and living on the land. The timing was, is he believed God was going to restore what exactly he's been saying, exactly what you just said, Rich, and he's going to actually own land. I don't know, Rich. I think that's it's a pretty cool picture of believing in the future blessing that's going to come. One commentator said he, he actually put, uh, how, how does the phrase go? He put his money where his mouth is. I'm going to invest into Israel. I might not see it right now, but I, it's coming. Isn't that a cool picture? Like, it's coming. And then when you look in verses 16 through 25, it kind of gets interesting. After I had been given the purchase agreement to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Verse 17, Oh Lord God, you've made yourself. You yourself made the heavens and earth by the great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. It continues on. And it says in verse 18, You show faithful love to the thousands, but lay the father's sins on their sons' laps after them, great and mighty God, whose name is Yahweh of hosts. It continues on. <clears throat> and he just continues to <clears throat> recognize God's goodness, you guys. That's really all there is. This. There's God's goodness in his life <clears throat> in all of this progression. He prays about buying the field because he actually, it's funny, in 16 through 25, though, he realizes, though, it's, it might not be, Kevin, um, one of the best business deals. You know, I mean, you think about this, because look at this. It says in verse um, 22, well, let me just start off in 21. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt, signs and wonders, strong hand, outstretched arm, great terror. Verse 22, you gave them this land you swore to give the, to their ancestors. 
a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 23, they entered and possessed it, but they did not obey your voice. Live according to your instructions. They failed to perform all you commanded them to do so. And you brought all this disaster on them. Look, siege ramps have come against the city to capture and the city as a result of the sword. Famine and plague have been handed over to them, to the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you have spoken has happened. Look, you can see it. So in other words, all of this destruction is happening to Jerusalem. And he says, you know, I think I'm going to buy some land. (laughs) Yet you, Lord, have said to me, buy the field with silver and call in witnesses, even though the city has been handed over to the Chaldeans. Like this seems like a crazy land deal. And God says, buy it. Says in verses 26 through 24, I just I'm going to summarize here. Uh, I think it's interesting. Jehovah really God answers Jeremiah and he says, no, you're doing the right thing. There's nothing that's too hard for me to do. And he realizes, and I like what J. Vernon McGee says, God is delivering the city over to the Chaldeans and in his own time, he will deliver the city from the Chaldeans. That's what you're going to see in Jeremiah 32. Jehovah God is delivering them for judgment. And then in a future day, he will deliver them in mercy as he promised. And Jeremiah is banking on it. And so here you have this speech in Jeremiah 33. Here we go. We're going to begin to walk through what Nelson's commentary says. It's restoration and cleansing of Jerusalem. We're going to start seeing God take this thing back. And so this whole letter, really, this whole art, this whole setting of this speech is found in the courtyard of uh, of the guard. And he's, he's being kept there during the Babylonian siege in 588 B.C. So here you have this, uh, remember Kevin, this second wave, you remember this? There's been a first wave in 597, remember? And they, they're headed to Jerusalem. We already said, we already know the king of Jeconia, right? He's already headed there, right? Now we're in the second wave of people being deported to, to Babylon. This is what it really looks like. So in 588, here he has Jeremiah is being kept during the Babylonian siege. And it says this in verse one, just to reiterate what I just said, while he was still confined in the guard's courtyard. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. God, just don't miss this. God can speak to you when you're not out by the sea in a beautiful chair with the sun on the beach. He can speak to you when you're feeling like in bondage. He can speak to you like when things really don't look that good. And he says in verse two, the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who forms it to establish it. Yahweh is his name, says says this. And this is the... This is for me, the Jeremiah 33, three. This is the passage where I get super excited. I know, call me hokey or whatever. Call me Janae and Mindy in the process, whatever this looks like, because we have our prophetic folks that love numbers, that get excited about numbers. You know, this is some of the reason why they'd get excited about numbers because 333, let's say the time, 333, it happens twice in a day. (laughs) Maybe this serves as a reminder about what God is asking of his people. He says, call to me and I'll answer you. And tell you great and wondrous things you do not know. In other words, uh, he's saying from prison, I, I need you guys to trust me in this. I need you to call me and I'm going to, I will answer you. Like literally cheesy illustration. Pull out your phone. You call. God will always answer. And when, when he answers, what's he going to do? He's going to tell you great and wondrous things you don't know. But how do you know what God is saying to you unless you what? Call him. Look, I'm just telling you, I know a lot of us think that it's super cheesy, but God wants to answer us. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, God invited Jeremiah's prayers, which appeals to him to fulfill the aspects of his promises, which he guarantees to keep. 
Talk to me about bringing this to fruition. Talk to me about setting you free. Talk to me about coming to you and then what I'm going to do. He says in verse four, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the houses of the city and the palaces of Judas kings, the ones torn down for defense against the siege ramps and the sword. In other words, these houses that are literally are torn down, made into rubble, and then they're actually made into a wall. He says all of this is being taken care of. But then he says, and look in verse five, the people coming to fight the Chaldeans will fill the houses with the corpses of their own men that I strike down in my wrath and rage, I have hidden my face from the city because of all of their evil. So here's what he does. He begins to say to Judah, I'm going to bring about three things that you can guarantee, you can take to the bank about what's going to happen. But it goes back to you guys, call to me and I will answer. And I'm going to tell you great and incomprehensible, unsearchable things that you can't even fathom. I, I just believe God wants to talk to us. I believe once you're on your knees into a prayer closet, just talking. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. This is the progression. Number one, and Nelson's commentary just kind of breaks up three simple acts. One is, is that you can see healing come to place. He says in verse six, yes, yet I will certainly bring health and healing to it and will indeed heal them. I will let them experience the abundance of peace and truth. Healing will come. I think this is a cool picture. I mean, when repentance takes place. God says, I will bring about healing to the people. I want to continue on here. In verse 7, it says this. The number two thing is, is besides healing, you can expect rebuilding. In verse 7. He says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and of Israel. Kevin, there it is again. Remember, we talked about this even uh, in 30 and 31. It's going to be a united nation. It's not just going to be Judah. It's not just going to be Israel. He's going to bring everybody. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and of Israel. And will we rebuild them as in former times? You are going to see rebuilding, healing take place and rebuilding. I, I guess to me, Rich, when we look at healing and rebuilding, like what's the difference between the two? What would you say? Well, I think the healing is going to be those that are going to be brokenhearted over the fact that they had disobeyed the Lord and had to go off into captivity. And then they're as a result of that, their towns and their homes that they lived in were ruined. So therefore, the Lord will rebuild those physical structures. So it's almost like what I hear you saying is it's almost like when the spiritual healing takes place, you'll see the physical being rebuilt. And I can't tell you in your own life, think about this. Just go along with me, okay, for a second. Let's just say everything around you is a mess, okay? Is it, it isn't until you have spiritual peace in your own life, peace and joy, that you remotely think about doing anything physically. Do you guys agree? Yeah. I think it's a drive, and I think it's just a, it's a cool picture. It's not in some formulaic, uh, you know, like a, a graph or anything. It's not in this, you have to do A to B to get to C. I, I just think that it's a cool picture of what he says is coming. Because then look what he says. Number three, another act that's going to take place is there's going to be a cleansing. In verse eight, scripture says this, I will purify them from all the wrongs that they have committed against me. And I will forgive all the wrongs they have committed against me, rebelling against me. You know, there's a really cool picture here of, of forgiveness. 
He says, I will uh, purify them. You know, something I didn't, I didn't really mention, uh, but I think it's a really cool picture. You will see this, this mentality or, or even this language of I will multiple times throughout this text. It's like God saying, I'm, I'm doing this. I will purify. I will forgive. And so here you have this language of this ritual purification, like the cleansing side of what is unclean and defiled. So when they come back into a new land, what is he doing? He's cleansing them of their past. He's forgiving them of their past. And it's almost like this language of, and it's pretty straightforward, Nelson says, of a pardon. I'm forgiving them. I am literally wiping this away. So here's what they have this image, Kevin. They have this image of only God can forgive all of their wrongs, right? This is a Jewish audience. Only God can forgive. So when you go to Mark 2, verse 7, this is what throws them off. Yeah, okay, I know I just jumped to the New Testament. But the mentality in the Jewish people is that only God can forgive. But in Mark 2, there's this language of the religious. They're describing Jesus Christ and they say, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In their mind, the language all throughout the Old Testament is only God can forgive. So when Jesus is now beginning to forgive sins, they cannot put the pieces together. I mean, earlier on in Mark 2, I mean, the reason that it caused so much problem is, is that here's the healing of the paralytic. Remember the friends and all this stuff? Here you have this. Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And it just stirred up the religious. So what are you going to see when they're beginning to come into? Remember, we're in Jeremiah 33, uh, specifically the chapter 33. You're seeing Israel being restored. You're going to see healing come. You're going to see rebuilding come. You're going to see cleansing come. And then watch this. It says in verse 9, This city will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise and glory. Do you remember the other chapters? He says, I'm going to what? I'm going to take away the joy. I'm going to take away the gladness. I'm going to have a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth who will hear all of all the good I will do for them. They will tremble with all the nations because of all of the good and the peace I'll bring about for them. God is going to bring about peace. He's going to bring about good goodness to his people. And everybody else is going to be freaking out in awe because of who God is. Scripture then just says it's a, it's a pretty, pretty powerful verse. In verse, uh, verse 10, it says, this is what the Lord says. In this place, which you say is a ruin without man or beast, that is in Judah's cities and Jerusalem streets, that are a desolation without man, without inhabitant, without beast, there will be heard again. Here we go. A sound of joy and gladness. Here it is. The voice of the groom and the bride and the voice of those saying, praise the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's your song. As they bring thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. Do you guys remember in Jeremiah 32, he went and bought what, Kevin? What did he buy? He bought land because he knows that there's going to be a place of joy and gladness. He believes the groom and the bride is going to take place. He knows that there's going to be restoration with families and relationships and with the Lord. Why? Because his faithful love endures forever. He believes this so much so, you guys. Kevin, can you go to for me Psalm 136 verse 1 for me? Psalm 136 verse 1. So here you have this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love is internal. Okay, this is kind of the language, Kevin, that they have in going back. Now watch this. This is really cool. Go to Ezra 3.11. Ezra 3.11, which we have not gotten into. Ezra 3.11 is this, they sang with praise. You have to understand something. These are the words of the Jews using on their return from Babylon. This is what they're saying. 
They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all of the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. Here they are. They're rejoicing. They're singing. And what Jeremiah prophesies is. And Ezra walks it out. Is that not awesome or what? Verse 12 of Jeremiah 33, the scripture says this. This is what the Lord of hosts says in this desolate place. Do you remember, Kevin, where he's at when he's talking right now? He's in prison. In Jerusalem, under siege. Yep. And in this desolate place, without man or beast, in all its cities, there will be once more be a grazing land where shepherds may rest flocks. The flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who counts them in the cities of the hill country, the cities of the Judean foothills, the cities of the Negev, the land of Benjamin, the cities surrounding Jerusalem and Judah's cities, says the Lord. Now, I will tell you this, okay? Again, you got to go back to this language. There will be uh, a partial fulfillment that we're talking about. Like, it's clear we're talking about, yes, some of this stuff is going to happen, right? Kevin, you would agree. These cities are going to be restored. There's certain areas, land that God is going to redeem, but yet it still doesn't quite get to what? The complete fulfillment. So he says in verse 14, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will fulfill the good promises that I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You have to understand, you guys, that God's covenant with David is going to be established over the next couple of verses here. He's going to reiterate this to everybody. It says in verse 15, in those days, and Kevin, we've, we've read this. This is normal language now. In, the, in those days and at that time, I'll cause a branch of righteousness to sprout up for David. He will administer justice and righteousness in the land. I mean, to me, this is the same picture that we've been looking at. And in, in, here's the deal. This branch, uh, Kevin, who's the branch? Jesus. <laughs> when in doubt, it's Jesus. I'm going to cause a branch of righteousness to sprout up for David. Do you remember even last chapter we talked about how David was going to rise again? Like there's this incredible picture that the Messiah King is coming. And he's the king who's going to reign forever. And not just the first time, but the second time. He's going to minister justice and righteousness in the land, which you guys, here we go again. Not at the first coming, but Kevin at the second coming. And the second coming is going to institute a thousand year reign, a thousand years, which we would call the millennium. And before that, you have, yes, the tribulation. And so I just want you to understand, I will cause a branch of righteousness. Here he goes. This is what he's going to do. The branch of righteousness is right before, yes, the thousand years. And just so you have a picture, you know, I just kind of like this. He's going to sprout up. <laughs> It's a crazy picture. And it says in verse 16, in those days, <laughs> Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. We've talked about this actually earlier on. And this is what she will be called, meaning Jerusalem. Jerusalem is called the Lord is our righteousness. So both Jerusalem and the branch of David is the same name. The Lord is our righteousness. They have the same name. And this promise is very clear. It's for the latter days. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. Can we just for old time's sake, Kevin, let's go to 2 Samuel, can we? Let's go to 2 Samuel 
uh, is it seven? Second Samuel seven, I believe. Here you have the Davidic covenant. Second Samuel seven sixteen, your house and your kingdom. This is David will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. That sure sounds like 2 Samuel 7, 16, a prophetic word that's given to David. Now you go to Jeremiah 33, verse 17 says, for this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. That's because he's talking about Jesus. He's going to come administer justice and righteousness to the land. It says in verse 18, the Levitical priest will never fail to have a man always before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings and to make sacrifices. I think this is a cool picture. I'm going to read something by Tom Constable, who's a former professor of mine at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he wrote this. He said, in the millennium, there will be a restoration of Levitical priests in reference to verse 18. Though instead of looking forward to the coming of the ultimate sacrifice, the worshiper will look back to it. They'll be worshiping back to the fact that Christ has already done this. Verse 19 says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Remember, he's still at a courtyard, hanging out in prison, saying, Hey guys, I just bought land. Because <laughs> I believe that he's coming back. And this is what the Lord says, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night cease to come at their regular time. <clears throat> Then also my covenant with my servant David may be broken so that he will not have a son reigning on his throne and the Levitical priests will not be my ministers. Once again, uh, this is kind of a cool picture here. He uses this creation covenant, this creation account kind of deal. Like, look, if God's not going to uphold that, he's not going to uphold the Davidic covenant. So praise the Lord, you don't have to worry about that. It says in verse 22, the host of heaven cannot be counted. The sand of the sea cannot be measured. So too, I will make the descendants of my servant David and the Levites who minister to me innumerable. In other words, I will keep the covenant with David, as I said in 2 Samuel 7. I'll keep the covenant with Levi, even as I talked in number 17. And yet at the same time, he goes back to this covenant, you guys. There's this language of the sand of the sea mentality of Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 1 through 5, he promised Abraham what? I'll make my descendants as innumerable as you won't even be able to count them. So here you are, Jeremiah, yes, referencing the Abrahamic covenant as well. (laughs) The Davidic covenant, the Levite covenant, and the Abrahamic covenant. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in verse 23, and he says, Have you not noticed what these people have said? The Lord has rejected the two families he had chosen. My people are treated with content and no longer regarded as a nation among them. Okay, so Kevin, there's this discussion about who the two families are. Okay, the discussions, right away you kind of think Judah and Israel. But he has just been talking about who? David and Levi. He says, man, I haven't rejected them. I haven't rejected my people. In fact, not at all. This is what the Lord says. If I do not keep my covenant with the day and night, he says it again, and to fail to establish, establish the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I might as also reject the seed, the seed of Jacob and my servant David not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, look at this, I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. Guys, I haven't kicked away, I haven't cast away the people of Judah. No, no, no. In fact, the other is true. As a part of the new covenant that we've been hearing throughout Jeremiah, 
The Lord has promised that he will never again reject his people. And in fact, he says, as Nelson says, he'll forgive their sins and remember it no more. But it only happens when they embrace the new covenant. All right, here you have Jeremiah hanging out in prison. He says, guys, I'm so convinced that God's going to do something ridiculous. I just bought land with 17 shekels of silver. He's putting his money where his mouth is. He's in. The question is, is when things don't look good, do you still believe in God enough to say, yes, I'm going to hang on to you even if I can't explain it right now. (laughs) It's a great picture. And I'm thankful for the prophet Jeremiah leading the way and showing us how to do this. All right, guys, have a great day, and we'll continue our study tomorrow. Thanks.